Hi everyone and welcome to episode 15 of Infraction. I'm Nadia. And I'm Sally. And should we start maybe by addressing the big fat elephant in the room, Sal? <laughs> the theme tune. <laughs> A few of our listeners don't like our opening music, which to be fair... To be fair, everyone who said that they didn't like it, like, said sorry. But you don't need to apologise. It's absolutely fine. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. The problem is Sally and I are so unbelievably creatively inept. The process of even, like, creating an Instagram story is too much for us. So, yeah, we're sorry some of you don't like it and you you think it needs to be creepier or whatever. Uh, we're, honestly, like, we're not going to change it because if we did, we can guarantee that it'd be... At minimum two times worse, but most likely like 10 times worse. So yeah, the theme tune is staying. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So let's crack on with today's case. Today we are going to be talking about the disappearance of Bryceless Pisa. This episode request has come from our wonderful listener Yvonne from Germany. So hi Yvonne and thank you so much for getting in touch. Um, I was actually going to leave this episode for a potentially later one because it's a fairly well-known case. Uh, It's one that I really thought I knew the facts about. But when I dived a little bit deeper, I realised that there were so many things that I either didn't remember or just never knew about this case. And actually, my opinion on what happened or what I think happened has actually really changed. So, um, yeah, hopefully I'll be able to do my best to lay out the facts for all of you so you guys can hopefully get a good big picture of what happened in this case. I do have to say, though, that this was one of the most frustrating cases to research because every report and article gives a different account and a different timeline and a different date of disappearance. So I'm going to do my best for you all today with this one. But I think the timeline I'm going to lay out for you is the correct one based off of statements from Bryce's parents. And basically, it's the timeline that sort of makes the most sense and fits the best. So Bryce Laspisa was born in April of 1990. What's the name? Priceless Pizza. Priceless Pizza. L A S P I S A. Lysis Pizza. <laughs> no. Bryce. B R Y C E. Yep. Las Pizza. L A S P I S A. All right. Well, you just need to put a space between those two words. Am I not? <laughs> no. It sounds like one. <laughs> okay. Right. Bryce Laspisa was born in April of 1994 to his parents, Michael and Karen. Bryce was the couple's only child, and so because of this, they reportedly had an incredibly close relationship. Bryce grew up in Illinois in the US, but after he finished school in 2012, the family moved to Laguna Niguel, which is in California. So I think he kind of moved like about 2,000 miles away from where he grew up. There's a photo of him over on our Instagram, but for those who haven't seen it, I'll quickly just describe what Bryce looks like. At 19 years old, Bryce stood at around 5 foot 11 and weighed about 12 stone. So that's around 180 metres tall and around 77 kilos. Um, no, 180 centimetres. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he is as tall as a hotel. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> oh, this is getting off to a cracking start. Right, so he's 5 foot 11 and he weighs about 12 stone. Um, and he has like striking bright ginger hair and blue eyes and a very, very big smile that kind of takes over his whole face. He has a tattoo on his left shoulder going down his arm a little bit. It's kind of symbols and Roman numerals and that kind of thing. He is an incredibly striking individual and that's important. I sort of want you to keep that in the back of your mind so they talk about the rest of this case. So in 2012, Bryce was living with his parents in California, an area they'd just recently moved to. 
Shortly after this move, Bryce moved by himself 460 miles away from his parents' home in Laguna de Gale to Rocklin. This was so he could attend Sierra College. Bryce was an incredibly talented artist and at Sierra College he was undertaking a degree in industrial and graphic design. He had a very large portfolio of designs and was very, very good at what he did. Sierra College is also where he met his girlfriend at the time. Her name was Kim. She has always described their relationship as good and I can't find anything anywhere that might suggest otherwise. She lived in Chico, which looks to be around an hour and a half away from where Bryce lived in Rocklin. Everything with Bryce seemed fine and normal for almost a year and there's kind of very little to report. Then, on August 27th, 2013, Kim reportedly noted a change in Bryce's behaviour. There's very little information out there about what changed, but most reports just state that he started to act strangely. Bryce allegedly told Kim that he had taken some ADHD medication that had not been prescribed to him. This was actually not the first time Bryce had done this. According to his friends, Bryce had occasionally taken Vyvanse to stay awake so he could play video games all night. Vyvanse is a medication used to treat some symptoms of ADHD. The effects of the drug are incredibly strong for someone who does have ADHD, so to be taking this drug without any symptoms could have very dangerous effects. The come down from Vyvanse is huge. People who have been prescribed the drug report that the come down gives you anxiety, extreme depression, and some individuals have experienced delusions. So, uh, yeah, it's not a nice medication at all, and it seems that it is particularly harmful if you don't suffer from any of the symptoms of ADHD, as was the case for Bryce. The next day, on August 28th, 2013, Karen Laspisa received a phone call from Bryce's roommate telling her that her son was acting very strangely. The roommate reportedly told Karen that Bryce was acting differently and that he'd randomly broken up with Kim by text. He had supposedly ended his relationship with Kim because he said she would be better off without him. Again, we don't know what that means, we don't know how he was acting, but I think we can probably all assume that if this behaviour sparked his roommate to call his mum whilst he's away at university, then his behaviour was probably very out of character and different. I mean, there were days at uni when I behaved very questionably, but I don't think for one minute my roommates thought about calling my mum, thank God. (laughs) No, absolutely. I think at this point I'm thinking... I don't know, he sounds quite low, doesn't he? To break up with someone because you think they'll be better off without you, for me, is a bit of an indicator of maybe normally you'd say a self-esteem issue, but at the point where you start to think there's um, any kind of drug involved, then, yeah, you start to wonder maybe was he a bit depressed or on some sort of calm down? Yeah, I definitely think it sounds like he's maybe on some sort of calm down or suffering from some kind of um, mental illness or something. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So his roommate supposedly told his mum that Bryce had started drinking excessively. I'm sort of just under the impression that this is just maybe uni culture, although obviously I do understand that the drinking age in the US is 21 and Bryce was only 19. But I'm sure 19-year-olds do still drink in America, probably especially at uni. However, I did read somewhere that he was really alcohol dependent and spent his days at a steady level of intoxication. I don't know if this is true. As far as I can tell, this is not being confirmed by friends or family, but, I mean, it might have been the case. So on the day that his roommate called his mum, so this is August 28th, Bryce drove to Kim's house, and from there, the pair called Karen Laspisa. On this call, Kim said to Bryce's parents that Bryce was acting really out of character, and she even said that she wanted to take his keys away because she was worried about him and said he shouldn't be driving. However, Bryce disputed this and told his parents that he was fine. Kim was just upset because he'd broken up with her and he repeated that he was okay. 
Michael later stated that, at this point, he and his wife offered to fly over and see him, but that Bryce reportedly said, no, don't fly over, I have lots to talk to you about first. Bryce left Kim's at around 11.30pm that night, and Bryce told his parents that he was heading back to his apartment in Rocklin. If you can remember from earlier, I said that Kim lived about an hour and a half away from where Bryce lived, so... When Karen received a call from Bryce at 1am, she assumed that he was just ringing to say that he'd got back to his apartment safely. I can't say for certain, but I don't believe she answered this call at 1am. I presume this is because she was asleep. So the timeline here gets so confusing. It's reported in so many different ways. But the timeline I'm going to tell you next is truly what I do believe happened, because the other timelines basically don't make sense and seem to miss out a whole day. At 11am on the 29th of August... Karen and Michael got a message from Bryce saying that he had broken down at 9am and had to use their roadside assistance. I've seen reports that also say that this message actually came from their insurance company, so I'm not entirely sure who left the message, but either way, they realised that Bryce had broken down two hours before this message was left. They phoned Bryce's roommate to see if Bryce had managed to get home okay the night before. Unfortunately, the roommate reported that Bryce had not come home the night before from Kim's house. Michael checked his credit card receipts and saw that a charge had been made in a place called Buttonwillow. This was along Interstate 5 and is apparently frequented a lot by truckers who need to pull over to rest and things like that. It's also only a few hours away from Laguna Niguel where they lived and so his parents just assumed that, after leaving Kim's, maybe Bryce had decided that he wanted to go home to his parents and had started the 8-9 to hour drive back to their house. Just so everyone kind of understands this, Chico, where Kim lived to Buttonwillow, where he'd broken down, is roughly a five to six hour drive, and then Buttonwillow to his parents' house is roughly a three hour drive. So the charge on the credit card was from a place called Castro Tire and Gas. Michael rang the shop and asked what had happened, and there was an incredibly helpful employee there whose name I read was Christian. Christian told Bryce's parents that he had delivered Bryce three gallons of petrol to his broken down vehicle just a couple of hours before. He told Michael and Karen that Bryce had seemed fine, although his eyes were a little bit red. Karen said that she was really worried because she couldn't get a hold of Bryce and he wasn't answering his phone. Christian offered to drive back out to the spot and see if Bryce was still there, although he did warn Bryce's parents that it had been about two hours since Bryce had received the petrol, so it would be very unlikely that he'd still be there. Despite this, the Las Pisas were clearly worried and asked if Christian would go. Christian drove out to that section of Interstate 5 and, to everyone's complete shock, Bryce was still sat there in his car in the exact same spot he had broken down. I think at this point he'd been sat there since about 9am because the roadside assistance was called at 9am and at this point it seems that it's around midday or about 1pm so he's been sat there for a good three to four hours. Bryce spoke to his mum on Christian's phone and when she asked him what he was doing he just said nothing. She asked him to drive back to their home and it appears that he said that he would. 3pm rolled around and there was still no sign of Bryce at the Las Pisa home. I know it's frustrating to hear this, but it's not crystal clear what happened next as it is continuously reported differently. But this is what I believe happened based on what is most widely reported. His parents kept repeatedly ringing him around 3pm as they were expecting that he should either be home or at least be close to home. However, he didn't answer any of their calls. They were panicked and unsure who to reach out to, so they rang Christian again at Castro Tire and Gas, and Christian said he'd go back out and see if he could see Bryce. Christian phoned back and said that Bryce was still sitting in that exact same spot. 
It's unclear if they spoke to Bryce on the phone, but I assume they did because, once again, they expected him to start his journey home and so he would be home within the next few hours. I don't know why they keep expecting him to do this, though. When, I mean, I know it's only been once before, but I mean, he's clearly not okay. He was sat there for two hours before they got there. He's since sat there for, what, another four. You start Mm. to think at this point, actually, maybe you need to go and see your son and do something about this. He's clearly not feeling great at this point. Yeah, I I don't disagree with you at all. I don't disagree with you at all. Um, mm, I think, yeah, I'm interested to see what you think by the end of it. (laughs) So by 6.30pm, Bryce was still not home, and so Karen and Michael got an emergency ping on his phone GPS in an attempt to track his movements. Shockingly, this revealed that Bryce was still in Buttonwillow and had only moved a total of eight miles in the nine hours he had been in the car. Well, I'm not shocked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, not shockingly. Eight <laughs> miles is not at all any kind of distance. In nine hours, that's crazy. By 9pm, they were desperate, and so they rang the California Highway Patrol and asked them to go and check on their son. The Highway Patrol found Bryce still sat in his car and still in Buttonwillow. The officers reportedly searched Bryce's car for drugs and alcohol and performed a sobriety test on him. They found no drugs in his vehicle, and Bryce passed the test and was sober. The officers asked Bryce what he was doing and asked him to phone his parents. Bryce was very reluctant and refused to call home. Therefore, one of the officers dialed Karen and Michael's number himself and held the phone out to Bryce. This was around 10pm. Is there a reason at this point, I've not missed an obvious reason, have I, why they haven't just gone themselves? No, you haven't okay. missed an obvious reason. There is literally no reason. Okay. So on the phone, Karen asked Bryce what he was doing and he weirdly said that he was going to go hang out with some friends. As far as I can tell, Bryce didn't have any friends who lived in the Buttonwillow or Bakersfield, area which is the bakersfield is the next town along so basically the police couldn't do anything because bryce was sober and he was 19 years old so he was legally an adult and also because he had no drugs in his vehicle and to them he seemed coherent they had no choice but to walk away some reports state that they even asked bryce's parents what to do michael and karen said if you think that he's okay then you can let him go and the officers did confirm that bryce seemed fine but that he just wanted to let off some steam I don't know what that means. I don't I don't know what let off some steam means. I'm guessing maybe because he'd just broken up with Kim. Um, but I mean, at this point, he's been sat there for like 12, 13 hours. I know, and that's what I'm thinking. Fair enough. You know, I'd find this less weird if he'd gone out for two days, they hadn't heard from him and he'd been out having a completely outrageous time. But actually, no one's definition of letting off steam is sitting by the side of the road for nine hours. And yeah. I'm frankly actually shocked at this point (laughs) that his parents are more concerned by this behavior i mean to me straight away it just sounds incredibly bizarre Mm. it is incredibly bizarre it is it's very weird um so yeah according to credit card statements bryce stopped at a petrol station in buttonwillow at 11 p.m and he bought a drink shortly after this christian the roadside assistance guy told carol and michael that he would go out and do one final check to see if bryce had left By this point, Bryce had been sat in Buttonwillow in his car for over 13 hours. Christian, who, yeah, seems more concerned about Bryce than his actual parents, found Bryce and told him that he had to go home to Laguna Niguel. And this time he told Bryce that he was going to follow him onto the highway to ensure that he was heading in the right direction. Christian's a top bloke, isn't he, really, at this point? Like, what a nice man to do this and keep driving out there when he doesn't even know who this family are. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think he's going well above and beyond the call of duty. Yeah, great guy. So Christian followed Bryce out onto the highway and confirmed to Michael and Karen that their son was starting to drive in the right direction. The couple managed to speak to their son at this point and he told them that his ETA was around 3.25am. At 1.50am, Bryce called his mum and told him that he had veered off the highway but that he was now back on Interstate 5 heading home. Around 15 minutes after this, at 2.08am, Bryce phoned his mother again and said that he was pulling off the interstate into a suburban area to catch up on some sleep in his car. He said that he was too tired to carry on driving. This was the last time the Las Pisas ever heard from their son. At 8am, the doorbell rang to the home of the Las Pisas. Karen ran to the door to open it, obviously expecting to see Bryce. Unfortunately, standing at the door was a California Highway Patrol officer. He said that they'd recovered a crashed Toyota Highlander near Castaic Lake just after 5am. They said the vehicle was listed in their name. It was, as I'm sure you've all realised, the vehicle that Bryce had been driving. Bryce's car had flown down a 25-foot bank and landed on its side at the bottom of the bank. CCTV footage caught Bryce's car at 2.15am, six minutes after he told his parents he was going to sleep, driving down Lake Hughes Road. Two hours later, he was seen on CCTV footage entering Lake Hughes Road again from the same direction. GPS tracking showed that Bryce had driven this route around the lake three times, with this third time ending in the crash. It's reported that this route around the lake takes about 40 minutes. All of Bryce's belongings were found in the car. This included his laptop, phone and wallet. However, Bryce was nowhere to be seen. Additional searching of the car uncovered a few spots of blood on the headrest of the passenger seat and on the back seat, and the rearview window was broken from the inside out. An examination of the road later evidenced that Bryce had sped up as he neared the end of the road and that he had not applied his brakes. There were no hesitation marks on the road at all. This led investigators to believe that he had intentionally driven his car off the road. Just beyond this road was Castaic Lake. Officers determined that, at night time, it would appear that you'd be able to drive yourself off the road and land directly in the lake but because of how the lake looked at night time, you wouldn't realise that there was actually a 25-foot drop before the lake, so it wasn't sort of a straight shot off the road into the lake. Does that make sense? Yeah, so he could have just landed on ground, not in the lake. Yeah, but he would have thought... Well, so they they say that he would have thought that he'd be able to land straight into the lake, but because of the way that it looked at night time, yeah, he wouldn't notice that he would actually not do that. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, based on this, their conclusion was that Bryce had tried to commit suicide... And when he hadn't died in the crash, their next thought was that he would have thrown himself into the lake to attempt suicide again. Divers scoured the lake, but they didn't find anything. Next, they brought in police search dogs. These dogs followed Bryce's scent from the car, up past the lake and onto the road. The scent stopped at a truck stop. The police spoke to Bryce's uni friends to determine how his character had been before this incident. As we all know, he had been acting strangely and they reported that he had actually given away his Xbox and a pair of his mother's diamond earrings that were a family heirloom. Billboards with the image of Bryce on it were set up along Interstate 5. His face was featured in the national news and the case was heavily reported on. Several weeks later, a body was found burning, although it was confirmed that this was not Bryce. In 2017, a human skull was found in Lake Hughes, the road that Bryce was driving on when he disappeared, However, dental records determined that this was not Bryce either. There are reports out there that say that Bryce has been found, 
This is not true, and his parents state that although there have been many suspected sightings of Bryce around different states in America, none of these sightings have been confirmed as being him. Bryce's mum says that she believes that Bryce is still alive, but that he doesn't remember who he is, um, as she states that he would never just willingly walk away from his life. I read that in 2015, a private investigator took on the case and determined that Bryce would not just walk away either because the bond Bryce had with his parents was too strong. However, some people who know the family have disputed this and suggested that maybe their relationship wasn't as good as they made it out to be. There are a lot of theories out there as to what happened to Bryce. Most people believe he is still alive somewhere. Kind of goes back to what I said at the top of this episode, but... Bryce is such a striking-looking individual. I cannot believe there have been no credible sightings of him, especially considering his face was on billboards and in the news and it was everywhere. So I think the sort of most discussed theory is that Bryce hitched a hike at the truck stop where the scent for the dogs went cold and that he just skipped town and maybe started a new life. Others think that he was picked up and maybe something untoward happened to him. So out of those theories then, I'm curious to know which one sits best with you at this point. Um, I think it's really difficult. Bryce's um, Bryce's DNA and his dental records and everything, they're all in the system. So if a body was to be found and it was him, then we would know and like the case would be solved. For me, I there's a lot of theories out there that he had some kind of psychotic break because of the Vivans or that he was hallucinating or that he was sat in his car for ages com- contemplating suicide, that kind of thing. I do understand all those theories i don't agree with karen's theory that he she basically thinks that he's got amnesia and that he had like a head injury in the car accident now he doesn't remember who he was but i that i I just don't understand that theory because surely he would have gone to a hospital or gone to a police station or something my genuine theory is that basically his missing person status was used to be endangered missing and now it's changed to Uh, voluntarily missing and that kind of makes me think that the police have had contact with Bryce but because he's legally an adult he can legally decide that he wants to go missing and not have anything to do with his family so I wonder if he's you know spoken to the police and said that he just doesn't want to speak to his family he wants to be voluntarily missing and that is something they would have to comply with do you know what I mean because he is an adult and he can make that decision yeah, I can I completely see where you're coming from there. Personally, I don't know the ins and outs of the laws and what the police are and aren't obliged to tell someone, particularly if you say he's an adult in his own right. And But in my mind, I would kind of imagine that he would have to believe he was under some kind of threat for them to be obliged to not say anything to his parents. Yeah, um, yeah. I totally agree with you that I do not buy into the amnesia theory. I think that anyone who's got... Firstly, I think it's incredibly rare um for a head injury to cause long term amnesia instantly to the point that you have no idea who you are um i think it's like you say even more unlikely in that situation i think it's bizarre that he wouldn't then meet someone who would say oh my god this guy has no idea who he is what's going on what day of the week it is i need to take him to some sort of authority be it the police or a hospital um, and as you've pointed out that would in theory flag it up on the police's records of missing mm. people um so yeah i definitely don't particularly buy that either i think the thing i'm most curious to understand at this point is how big the lake was 
Oh, it is quite big, but they've done, so they've dived in it and they've like, they haven't obviously dredged it because it's a massive lake, but they have used like sonar specialist equipment to try and find anything and they haven't recovered anything. Um, so I don't know what basis they've done that on, if they've just done maybe the outsides of it because that's where they imagine he'd jump in or what. But for whatever reason, they are absolutely certain that he's not in the lake. Yeah, see, it's hard, isn't it? Because I don't know why, for me, that's very much where... I'm leaning. I don't particularly agree that he sounds like someone who's had any sort of psychotic breakdown. I think he sounds like a university-aged person who's dabbled in some drugs that at the time probably feel like they're not doing a huge amount. I mean, yes, they sound like they've got some very nasty side effects, but drugs given to people with ADHD, you know, they're not going to be sending him off his rocker at the time they're just probably going to enable him to stay up all night playing video games and to be honest i'm quite struck by that's what he was using them for you know this isn't a guy who's going out outrageously partying he's staying up all night playing video games so Mm. straight away i'm not thinking this is somebody who really wants to start a new life away from his parents so i think the timeline that in my head i'm is appealing to me here really is that he's taken these drugs they're some kind of interfering with his neurotransmitters he's experienced quite a it does sound like quite a severe come down mm-hmm. but that you know that's not particularly out of the norm for anyone at university or something like that and he's driven i think it's his behavior is clearly very very bizarre and i'm not saying that he was by any means thinking straight throughout this whole the whole couple of days um but I don't think he sounds like he's completely lost touch of reality. He just sounds like someone who's, yeah, maybe incredibly low, might have felt as though he'd hit rock bottom, you know, he's broken up with his girlfriend, maybe maybe wasn't regretting it. Um, it's absolutely, I mean, when you take some of these drugs, what they do is release all of your kind of happy hormones, if you want to call them that, in your brain. And so people do report that you can feel really, really incredibly hopeless once you know the next day because actually you've completely run out of things like serotonin that Mm -hmm. are solely responsible for you feeling good about anything so I don't think it's a huge stretch that he could have been feeling seriously suicidal this day and that's why I'm very much leaning towards the fact there's quite a lot of evidence to suggest he did try and kill himself obviously you mentioned that it looks as though he's escaped from the car by kind of punching the glass but I don't necessarily think that him trying to escape and him surviving and walking off unscathed have to be the same thing. So I guess I'm kind of thinking, did he escape and then drown? Yeah, so no, I I agree with what you're saying. Um, Yeah, I think like, yeah, if he was suicidal um, and he didn't successfully kill himself when he crashed the car, which obviously we know he didn't, then it wouldn't, yeah, it, it would, sorry, it would make sense that he would try and break out of the car and maybe you know, try again if he was really set on committing suicide. I understand that fully. I think sitting in the car for hours and hours on end for like, what, 13 hours plus, it does sound like he's contemplating a lot of things. Like he wasn't doing anything. He was just sat there thinking. And I think it's very, very understandable to think that maybe he did just think himself, you know, he was sat there for a really long time and he was just contemplating killing himself. Um I think the thing that kind of, for me, makes me think it's not suicide. One, it's the fact that the the dogs um, tracked his scent sort of up. It was like up over the dam, like onto the road. 
um, and then at the truck stop. That's what makes me think that he probably hitched a hike. The other thing that I find really, really strange is that the blood was found on the passenger seat in the back seat. And I can understand that the blood um, would be on the back seat from climbing, you know, out of the rear view uh, window, like we just said. But I don't understand why there's no blood in the driver's seat, if that's where he was. It kind of makes me think that there might have been someone else in the car. And maybe that's why he was waiting for so long. Like he was waiting to pick someone up. But I mean, I don't know because I don't know how another person would fit into this really. Yeah, I completely agree. I see 100% where you're going with the um, trucks going up towards the truck stop. But I suppose if I was playing devil's advocate or even just exploring my thoughts at this process, I would maybe wonder, did he move himself over as he was veering towards the cliff? Because that would remove any chance that he'd be able to hit the brakes if he was taking himself out of reach of the pedals. And then let's really hypothetically say he crashes, realises he's not drowning and that actually he's still alive, stumbles his way out of the car. And then, I don't know, maybe he goes for a walk and thinks... Yeah, God, I haven't even managed to kill myself. I don't know what to do. And goes for a stroll. And who knows? Obviously, it's completely plausible that he got picked up by a truck. But maybe he didn't. Maybe he walked back. He saw the lake. Came up with a way. Because actually, I think it would probably be reasonably hard. I'm kind of guessing to drown yourself completely naturally. So maybe he was walking around thinking of some kind of way to go about this. Uh, and then did I mean I do find it really weird they found nothing in the lake but I guess I just don't know enough about underwater excavations or searches as to how likely it is I mean if it's a huge body of water and it's quite a commonplace I don't know if this is I've just watched too many crime films Um, (laughs) but to hide bodies isn't it and I guess there must be something in that that means it's a common place because there is something difficult about finding or recovering bodies from there would it don't they float though I don't know. Is that not why you weight bodies down? I literally don't know. Yeah, so that's what I'm wondering. And that's what I think naturally, again, I'm just thinking out loud here. I don't know how I would drown myself because naturally as a living human, yeah, you do float. So that's why I'm wondering, maybe did he go for a walk around the lake up to the truck stop? Who knows? And maybe found something that he thought would make it possible to do it. I mean, it sounds in that situation like he would have had to put a lot of thought into it. But the thing I just can't get my head around is what's his motive to truck off to a new life? Even in that moment, maybe it made sense. But what's his motive to never, ever come back? I mean, sure, some of his family or family friends questioned how good the relationship was. But people would probably question that about my family. But actually, I am very close to them. But (laughs) if you ask the right people, I'm sure they'd be like, God, I saw some awful fights. Do you know what I mean? I just think, was was the build-up to this event, was it really severe enough that he would disappear into, you know, the midnight air and never, ever make contact with his family again? Yeah. I, d- I definitely agree with that. I've seen, like, a lot of things where people say, there's a lot of documentaries, um, and Karen, Laspisa in it especially, comes across as quite not cold but like also not very emotive and loads of people say that you know like that is sort of telling of something but I totally agree with you like I mean think about my mum like 
I hope that <laughs> I'd no doubt that she, you know, loves me and stuff. But there is not a chance that you'd see my mum on the telly crying her eyes out, you know, begging for information about where I was. She would do her damned hardest to try and find me, but she would not at all cry or show any emotion on telly, would she? Like, she's not that kind of person. Well, and I think it comes up a lot in the media. But really, until you're going through that, what is the right way for a grieving parent to behave? I mean, grief affects yeah. people in incredible ways. Some people don't cry some people do some people completely switch off and don't want to talk about things other people don't want to ever stop talking about it and so I think it's just a really hard metric to judge a case by is how do the parents react etc because I'm sure if you were to do a proper study on it you'd find Mm. parents who have been very cold and yet it's been proven they had nothing to do with it and you'd probably find parents who seemed very emotive and actually were linked and I think definitely it would be really fascinating with this case to really understand what his relationship with his parents was like because who knows, maybe, you know, this is completely hypothesising, maybe they were terrible, maybe he did really have enough reason, you know, he's broken up with Kim, he's got nothing else apart from the prospect of going back home and maybe home is such an awful place that actually he thinks this is my only chance, he's feeling awful he's you know in a really bad way and bizarrely it gives him the strength to make a decision that he never otherwise would have but Mm. from the facts that we've got here today personally I just don't feel like I have enough evidence to support that theory because from everything I've heard he doesn't sound like he does have enough motive to turn his back on his family and you know from what you said he's a very distinctive looking guy He would have to work really hard to not be spotted. And, you know, he might be voluntarily missing. That doesn't mean that someone might see him, remember the case, get in touch with his family. If he's starting a new life, he's had to work really hard to do it. And you would just think that with all the media attention and police sniffing around, that if there was a reason for him to do such a thing, it might have already come out. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think... I do agree with you. I don't think his relationship with his parents are what they're making it out to be. But I mean, that's incredibly common in cases like this. Like, families aren't honest because they don't want to paint themselves or the victim in a bad light and they want them to look as good as possible, which obviously is understandable, but I mean, it isn't helpful. And they probably look back on it as well with rose-tinted glasses. So if you were to lose your only child, even if actually you did have quite a frictious relationship... I can imagine that as part of trying to protect your emotions, you might choose to forget any of those difficulties and actually only focus on the great things and convince yourself that you had this really special relationship with your child, even if actually day to day in reality, maybe you didn't. Yeah, and I agree. I do agree. I just... Do you know what? Like The thing that really gets me is why, when he was three hours away, why did they not drive to him? I really just can't understand that. And I'm not bashing them. I understand that they've lost their son. And I would, you know, we obviously all have the benefit of hindsight. But I do just think in general in this situation, it isn't, I don't really know if it's anything really to do with hindsight. Like, I think in situations like that, you do what you can. This is really bizarre. I don't know why I'm thinking about this. But do you remember when you were in hospital in Cardiff when you injured your back and no one could get a hold of you because your phone died? Mm. Yeah, so, you, like, your mum couldn't drive to you and, obviously, we could, none of us could get in touch with you and your mum asked me to get in, try and find one of your uni friends and get them to go to the hospital with your phone charger and stuff. And the whole time, I was 
on the phone, like trying to get a hold of one of your housemates, I was literally packing my bags ready to drive four hours there myself because you were in trouble and you needed help. And that's what I just can't understand about this situation. After like five, six hours and he's still not home, why are you not getting in your car and just going to go get him? I no, don't get it. No, I completely it. agree. And I think the thing that actually for me is even more odd is that if they had no idea where he was and he just hadn't answered his phone, even after six hours then, I would probably get in my car and go and try and find my son. Yeah. If I knew that he was sat on the side of the road for even two hours when there's no reason for him to be, you know, his car's been fixed, he could be driving... Even two hours, I'd be thinking, do you know what? He really doesn't sound okay. That's a very bizarre thing for someone to do. He's not pulled off a motorway and gone and sat in a park. You know, he sat on a highway by the yeah, side yeah. of the road. And Nothing two there. hours, strange. Nine hours, I mean, why Why exactly? Are you not in a car? Yeah, so particularly you know, when Christian's confirmed after the first three hours that he's not moved, you know where your son yeah. is. There's nothing stopping you, we presume, going and finding him there. Instead of speaking to this you know, really helpful man who works at a mechanics, why, yeah, why are you not there yourself going to see if your son's okay? All the alarm signs are there of someone who's feeling really, really unwell mentally. And I completely agree with you, Nad. It seems incredibly strange that at that point they didn't leap into action. But it seems strange. Does it seem so awful that he would, you know, maybe that was telling of something they'd done that would warrant him going away to another life? I don't know, maybe. It's just very hard. It's a hard one to piece together, isn't it? It is really hard. I think, yeah, it's definitely not so bad that maybe that's why he, you know, it's not really maybe motive for running away. But I mean, it might add to kind of, padding out maybe the theories around why he might have wanted to run away because maybe his relationship with his parents wasn't as great as they sort of made it out after the fact i don't want anyone to think that we're slating his parents in this situation we're not at all it's just it's just it is an avenue to explore in this case i think it's an important avenue to consider um and to just kind of talk about i'm sure after the fact maybe they've kicked themselves a million times for you know not going and finding him but yeah, I think it is an important avenue to at least discuss. I don't want anyone to think that we're victim blaming here or anything like that. No, but definitely it's a fact relevant to the case. And as you've just so rightly said, it adds weight, I think, to to one of the theories as to what happened here. And yeah, I, yeah like you say, I don't doubt that they probably, assuming they had a good relationship i don't doubt they probably kick themselves every day for not going to see him but mm. i'm sure that if you were to relay the story to many parents they would find their actions on that day quite strange mm-hmm. in the instance even before you then know the ending of this story mm-hmm. no i definitely agree definitely agree okay so final thoughts now do you think he's alive mm. yeah so i always thought that maybe so that's why I kind of said at the beginning, like my views have changed after kind of researching this more deeply. I do think that he's alive, although I, I am kind of on the fence a little bit because I do think that it's very strange that no one has spotted him. Um, but then, yeah, I, I think I think personally, I think he's alive. I hope he's alive and I hope he's happy. But yeah, I think I'm more on that side. Why? What do you think? Yeah, see, I don't know. I think as the information I've got in front of me today, I'd probably lean towards the fact he died that night and Mm -hmm. to be honest I'd even probably go as far as to say I think 
he was probably the cause of his own death. Um, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'm not led to suspect foul play at this stage. It will definitely be another case, probably like every week <laughs> that I go away and look into more. <laughs> and who knows, maybe I'll change my view. But yeah, if I had to say right now, I would say dead. And I'd probably unfortunately say suicide. And I think it's a really sad, sad story. And I hope for his parents' sake that I'm wrong. No, well, it's interesting that we have different views. I'm sure all our listeners will have different views as well if you do i mean we'd love to hear them um you can find us on instagram at infraction.thepod um or on facebook um but yeah we will of course update you guys if anything changes regarding this case um i mean you know like sal said hopefully the laspisa family will get some answers soon on this there is a facebook page called find bryce laspisa i can link it below uh, so you guys can follow that if you want updates But yeah, thanks everyone for listening and thanks again, Yvonne, for this suggestion. We'll see you guys on Wednesday for some kind of crime episode. I have literally no idea what we'll be doing, so it'll be a fun surprise for us all. Um, Oh, actually, before we say goodbye, I just wanted to quickly say a massive, massive thank you to all of you who have recommended us on Facebook groups and in other places. We see you and we love you and we thank you so, so much for the support. We recently got an influx of new listeners and that's because of you guys who shouted us out. So thank you so much and hello to you lovely new listeners. Yep, thank you everyone. And once again, we genuinely do find it really interesting hearing what everyone else thinks on these cases. So if you've got a theory, even if it's the same, different or indifferent, um, please head over to Instagram, Facebook. Just let us know what you think. We love to carry on the conversation after these episodes end. Exactly. And please tell your friends about us. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, guys, for listening. We'll see you on Wednesday. Thank you. Bye. Bye.